Welcome to Leaders with Ambition, the podcast that delves deep into the careers of some of the UK's most successful leaders working in professional services firms. We aim to discover the secrets behind their success, the challenges they've overcome, and to find out what traits make a successful leader. So good morning and welcome to the series Leaders with Ambition. It's a series where we delve into some of the background of some great leaders that work in the professional services industry. I'm Nikki Acuna-Akanya and I'm the Managing Director of Ambition UK, a recruitment consultancy that specialises in professional services recruitment. And today I am delighted to welcome Paul Davies, who is currently the Restructuring and Insolvency Partner at James Cowper Creston. And he is also the President of the Turnaround Management Association, which we will talk about, no doubt, throughout the podcast today. But welcome, Paul. Thanks, Nikki. Delighted to be here. Appreciate the invite. The pleasure. So it'd be good to hear uh, a little about your history, your background and how you got to being partner in your career. And then we can talk about some of the highlights and challenges you've faced along the way. And I'm sure sharing some words of wisdom as we as we go through your career. So if you want to bring your career to life for us. So it all started for me when I did my A-levels. So I went to college to do my A-levels. And when I did those, I got better grades than I anticipated. So I delayed entry to university. I got a deferred for one year to get to a course that I wanted to do that I hadn't chosen at the time. And then what happened was I took a temporary job for 12 months at Barclays Bank. Got a girlfriend and I got a car and I got a stereo and quite enjoyed having some money and going out. And so I actually approached Barclays to see if they might make the role full time, which they agreed to do. This is back in Sheffield, my hometown. Uh, And so I started work full time. I cancelled the entry to university and so never went and off I went to work at Barclays. You mentioned that the degree was going to be in marketing as well. So quite different. Yeah, so it would have been in marketing. And interestingly, I suppose if my grades had been worse, I'd have probably ended up doing marketing at Huddersfield, which was the choice that I'd made. But the course I actually wanted to do was in public relations, so public relations and management, in uh, which was at the University of Central Lancashire up in Preston. So interestingly, I think I'd have probably gone to uni had I done worse at A-level, which is quite weird, really. I suppose it's the wrong way around. But as it was, I ended up at Barclays. I did three or four years at Barclays, moving from Sheffield up to Leeds, a couple of promotions in that time. And I was an assistant to, the, in, to one of the corporate managers up in Leeds, based out of the... Um, the Leeds office having gone through regional office which was also in Leeds at the time and I did that for three or four years enjoyed my time at Barclays it was quite a good grounding into into finance and into the sector and then I was a pro it was actually in and and there's a bit of a theme here for my jobs but I was in the pub with some of the guys from Begbie's trainer up in Leeds and we're looking for some junior roles and I just sort of said well you know give me pay me for both junior roles and I'll come jumping over and that sort of started a more serious conversation about joining them which I did uh, and that was back in I think 19 January 1999 so I was 22 at the time obviously I'd done a few years experience at Barclays which stood me in good stead and that's when my sort of insolvency career in particular started where I was just doing a lot of formal insolvency work lots of cases and obviously learned a lot from those three or four years that I spent at Begbie's up in Leeds 
you were quite advanced then by that stage at the age of 22. As you say, you've got a few years working under your belt. You've worked at Barclays. You've worked in a few different roles there. And then you started the insolvency career. If you'd gone to university, you'd only just be joining the workplace. Yeah, indeed. I think even at that time, I was probably ahead of some of the people coming out as graduates. So I definitely think that experience stood me in good stead. I suppose if you're if you're comparing taking somebody on with four years work experience to somebody who's just come out of university, it's a tough decision to make, isn't it? And I think that experience can can help a lot. And I know it's something that I look at now when we're looking at recruiting. It's not all about what grade comes out of university. It's about somebody who's going to be a good fit for the team. Have they got, you know, in in our sector in particular, you need quite a lot of common sense. So that's really important. And just get a flavour of the person, really. But that experience of Having worked in an office environment, I think, is also important, even for graduates coming out, if they've done some internships or they've done some summer work. or So they're used to that office environment. They've been there and they understand it. I think it's difficult sometimes taking somebody who's never been in an office environment straight into a role. I think that can be a challenge for some graduates. I'd agree with you. And I think it's going to be interesting considering that the last 18 months, people haven't been able to get that work experience in an office-based environment and how that will then subsequently hold some of those people back. So it'd be interesting to see what happens over the coming months and years. So you went yeah, to bed and then what was the next stage? So my other half at the time then got headhunted down into London, into a London team, and I'd met her at Barclays. So I moved to London and I got introduction into Grant Thornton and I went for an interview at Grant Thornton and joined them as a senior administrator back in 2002. So is when I I moved to London. So a big change really from going from from Begbies where we had a huge turnover of work, predominantly liquidation centric, and then into GT where I went into the administrations team. And at the time, obviously, we were doing a lot of trading administrations. I was spending a lot of time out on site, thoroughly enjoying it. You know, I was 26 when I moved to London, so I was at a good age. We were a big team, so the GT team, restructuring team at the time, I think there was 199 of us when I joined. Wow. So big team, a lot of people of a similar sort of age and, you know, really enjoyed it. Enjoyed the working away, enjoyed working on site, running businesses. This is the day of trading administrations and, and we don't really get many of those anymore. So I think I was lucky that went into a good team, uh, had a good mentor. So I worked for a, a really good guy, learned a lot from a guy called Lee Pryor, who is now at Resolve. And Lee taught me a lot and I sort of worked, worked for him for four or five years, really, going on all these trading administrations and running cases. And they range, the joys of trading businesses, they can range from anything from we did footwear manufacturers to retail stores to a duck slaughterhouse. You know, it was was interesting going and seeing all these places. And I've always loved the variety of work that restructuring insolvency brings. I do love that, Duck Slaughterhouse. I think, you know, when you think about insolvencies, you do tend to think maybe post-GFC, some of the banks, and uh, you've got a Duck Slaughterhouse that you're trying to to turn around there. Indeed, yeah. We were out on site for about, I think we were there about a month trying to sell it. So obviously you're in and, and, and you're running the business. Because it's food hygiene, you don't really get to walk around the the nitty gritty much. But we did it a few times. I just really enjoyed it, learning about how the business runs and dealing with all the employees and and trying to give them some comfort that we were going to sell the business. And it was a good outcome in that one. We did sell it. No redundancies. We sold the business. But yeah, it was definitely an interesting time in the middle of summer in Norfolk. It was good fun. And we had some great, as I say, we had some great times because I was at a good age really for for getting out and and meeting people and making friends within the team. It was was good. I enjoyed it a lot. 
Well, I think the interesting thing about working in the insolvency world, as you say, is that it's so business facing, isn't it? And you really get to the nitty gritty of how a business works and operates and runs. And so you do accelerate your career from the, the level of experience that you're getting on a day to day basis. I think that's right. And I think you see when when things have been quiet over, I mean, I suppose since 2009, really, we've not seen the number of appointments that I think everybody expected following that. And quite a few people went out into industry and that experience of of having gone through running businesses, dealing with the distressed times, it's just invaluable to a lot of businesses. We see people just moving into, you know, some have gone in, some have gone into private equity, some have actually gone into businesses. So we have seen a leakage out of the insolvency market, but yeah. I think that's just the all-round skills that come with having done, having worked in the insolvency and restructuring sector for so long. And you mentioned um, the, me- the mentor that you had um, with Lee Pryor at, at GT, and is, is that something that you've then subsequently taken on in your own personal career? One being a being mentored and also uh, mentoring some of the more junior members of the teams yeah it's something I certainly tried to do I mean with Lee it was never it was never a formal arrangement so it's just that I did a couple of jobs for him we got on well I think they worked very well and he just liked having I think he sort of trusted me to work alongside him so it was never a formal mentor arrangement but obviously I learned a lot from Lee during that time he was my senior manager and I, and I was pretty much on every case with him. So it was never a formalized arrangement. And I think that's, that's the thing. A, a lot of businesses make sure everybody has a mentor, which is a thing I think is a great thing. But actually to have somebody that's almost accidentally a mentor is really helpful. So it's just being available and, and make sure that you are helping people and explaining what's going on. So rather than just giving an answer, explaining why you're giving a, making a certain decision. And that sort of thing, I think, is really important to junior staff. And you mentioned the pandemic earlier, and that's a real challenge because we're not with them every day. A lot of the time is we're at home or we've spent 18 months where we've not been sat next to them. And a lot of the stuff you pick up is for learning from osmosis and listening to people on the phone and and asking questions just because they're sat next to you and it's very difficult to do that in this day and age and that's going to be a real challenge I think for that sort of junior team coming through now. Yeah I agree with you I think um, you know we face that in the recruitment sector as well that people do learn from from people and from the mistakes that we make as well as the the things that go well so it's definitely going to be challenging over over the next couple of years. So um, after GT you then stepped on to the next stage? I did I did I went into back into banking so I was approached by Kaupthing Singer and Friedlander as they were so owned by the Icelandic Kaupthing and I decided to join them back in, that would have been June 2008, pretty much before the banking crisis started. So, yes, yeah, so I went into their risk team. So uh, it's quite a, an interesting idea they had there. I mean, it was only a reasonably small team, so there was five of us. But we had a split of people that had been in banking and then people that had been in insolvency. So we had two of each and then a, a sort of supervisor above. And that was quite interesting because they, they were trying to just improve the skill sets and have more of a skill set rather than just having bankers, people that have been in banking the whole career, but people actually knew mm-hmm. the insolvency world was quite interesting um, to deal with their risk clients. As it was, that didn't last very long. The bank went into administration itself in in October of 08. And that was really interesting for me because I was suddenly working for the administrators, having done 10 years on the other side. And so it was a real eye-opener into sort of employee communication and what goes on and I, th- I thought it was really interesting and looking back on it it was you know unsettling because I was at risk of redundancy constantly but from that point of view it was good that 
I'd learned from the other side, I saw the other side, and it, I think it stood me in good stead moving forward, having been through it and be able to say to employees, I've been there, I know what it's like, I know how it feels. Yeah. So I think that was really helpful. So anyway, so that didn't last long. I was made redundant in the December, so it was December of 08. But, it, you know, I was really lucky. It was a great time to be looking for insolvency work with my experience because everybody was gearing up expecting this collapse of the uh, of the UK economy. So everybody was really recruiting. So I was quite lucky that I had a number of choices, which is, you know, very different to most people being made redundant around that time. The insolvency market was definitely gearing up. So I was lucky in that sense. And I joined the I joined Mazars in, in the January to join a great team there, four great partners on that on the insolvency side. And that's where my career started to deviate a bit from the formal work. Um, so I started to get more a lot more advisory work coming in. So I was getting involved in independent business reviews or IBRs. Uh, just general board advisory work, as well as doing the formal stuff still. But that's where my career started to move from, just the formal insolvency work and headed into, started working its way towards the sort of restructuring. I set my joint insolvency examining board exams while I was at Mazars, uh, towards the end of my time at Mazars, which I just, you know, sometimes you've got to do it. And that was the first exams for me that I'd done since I was 18, since I'd done my A-levels. That was quite a challenge, come at a difficult time. I sat them in 2012, just started doing the courses when I found out my wife was pregnant and due about five weeks before the exams. So it probably helped in the sense that I was a lot more prepared, I think, than than a lot of people are that sort of leave it to the last minute because I knew that was going to be a problem. And you but had yeah, so, so much experience there. behind you as well, didn't you? You know, you know, real life, actual work experience around yeah, it. So it would have been um, not not any easier for you, but just different. I would have imagined the experience sitting it then. Yeah, I think it, you get good and bad habits, don't you, from from doing the work. Yeah. Um, I certainly think on at the time it was three papers. So the administration's paper, I think it definitely helped having had all that experience because there's a lot of practical type questions. And there's a lot of numbers questions here I sat here, which helped me because I love numbers. But it, certainly on the liquidation side and, and the bankruptcy, personal insolvency side, I've not really done any personal bankruptcy. For me, that was I really had to learn that. And again, liquidation is very law heavy. So those two I had to put a lot more effort into, whereas the administration one, I think, is, is a, was a bit easier for me cause, just because of having the practical experience of doing it. But yeah, thankfully, I passed the first time, so I didn't have to, to resit or anything. But yeah, I was 30, I'm sure I think I was then 36 at that point, so... Yeah, it was an interesting time, half my life, having not done an exam, suddenly yeah. to be thrust back into a lot of very difficult exams and pretty pretty stressful time, as well as having a newborn baby. So You do, you do yeah, everything at the, same, at the same time, make it, make it challenging. Yeah. Great timing, yeah, <laughs> it really was. Unfortunately, in Mazar's work, we, we weren't as busy as, as I hoped. What happened there is on my last day of my final exam, I was pulled into a redundancy consultation. And like, like a lot of firms, I was tied in for a couple of years because of the cost of the JIB. Yeah. But because I went into a redundancy consultation, that didn't apply. And it just felt at a time I liked, I liked to be busy. And I approached Resolve. So I went to talk to Resolve uh, about a potential opportunity there. And that came through. I think I, was, I ended up taking voluntary redundancy. And I think I was unemployed for about three hours. Something along that before Resolve came up with it, came up with an offer. Yeah, so yeah, it was only a nervous few hours where I was unemployed. But yeah, so I took the took the took the leap to join Resolve uh, as a senior manager there. And again, it was another another string to the bow, really. So Resolve was a much much smaller firm, but had their own little private equity, distressed private equity fund, um, and I learned a lot. That Mark and Cameron let me work on that, and I really enjoyed working on that. And 
the experience has a lot more variety. So I went in as a guy to do the IBRs, but I was doing a lot of the distressed private equity. And that's where I also started taking insolvency appointments for the first time. So I got promoted up to director and started taking insolvency appointments. And it was really good to get that all-round variety of work that I got to resolve. And that is something you get a benefit of, of working for a smaller firm. Yeah. You do get, you get a wider mm-hmm. mix of work. Yeah, absolutely. So that was good. So I added sort of working on the PE side to having worked in banking and insolvency and restructuring. So it was it was really helpful to have that extra string to the bow. Yeah, um, and I did three or four years at Resolve. Uh, I was then spoke to Menzies about heading up a turnaround team there because I sort of moved a lot more onto that restructuring bit than the insolvency. And I spoke to Simon Underwood there, really like Simon, got, got on well with Simon, decided to take that opportunity to go and run a turnaround team and, and effectively take away my license again. So I could genuinely say that I wasn't, taking insolvency appointments and I was the turnaround guy. Did that uh, feel that difficult, was... that transition then, Paul? Was that something that you were you know, quite easily enabled to, to do or did you think, oh, is this the right time? Yes. It? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I've, been, I've been taking appointments for about a year, something along those lines. So I only had maybe 15, 20 appointments, something along those uh-huh. sort of lines. And I spent, I spent a lot of time to making sure I got those exams so, to enable me to take appointments. <laughs> yeah. I had a long... There was definitely a long thoughts process about whether it was whether I wanted to not have a license anymore. I mean, the, the agreement was always I would have a non-appointment taking license. So in effect, my license was still live, but I wouldn't take appointments. I think what sold it to me was I, re- I really like Simon. I really like the opportunity. I like the idea of having my own little team, sort of building that. And also just seeing where that took us, because I don't think Simon or I really knew what turnaround would, would be. You know, it covers such a wide variety of work that actually it'd be interesting to see how it worked out over time. Wow. And it sort of almost morphed itself into what the sort of services we were offering rather than having a set structure when I first went on board to say, this is what I'm going to do. It was almost like we're going to head up the turnaround team and let's see what, what that actually means as we as we go through the cycle. Um, well, great that you so had such a, you know, the opportunity to grow something like that and you were given autonomy to do that. So again... You know, I think I think there's a theme throughout your career of you grasping opportunities. Yeah, I think so. It's the is the grass always greener? So you've always got that thought process because you just don't know, and that's always a challenge. And then you've also got a lot of people that I think just stay in the role because they've been there ten years or they've been there twelve years, and it'll happen. Whereas always, I think if the, a good opportunity comes along, then you should look at it and consider it. But yeah, I mean, you've got to bear in mind the grass isn't always greener. Yeah. Some roles don't work out as they expected. Again, that role was great for me. Simon, a bit like Lee, was was a great sort of mentor to working in turnaround, restructuring, having my own autonomy, running the team, just really reporting into him. And again, I learned a lot from I learned a lot from Simon. I'm still close to Simon. We still speak quite a lot. It was good to have that working relationship with him for the sort of four years I was there. It was good. Is that when you became part of the turnarounds? management association then was it at that period of time it is yeah Simon and I sat down early on and decided that I needed to sort of focus more on that turnaround only because I'd always had that sort of turnaround restructuring insolvency a bit of everything and so it's like well how do we do this so I sort of thought long and hard I, I was doing a few TMA events anyway so I joined I spoke to Andrew Pepper who was president at the time who said yeah come on board we've got opportunities on the board so I applied for a board position which I Thankfully, was accepted on, and so I joined the board. There, I'm trying to think when that was, Nikki, 2017, probably January 17. Was that the year you got the award as well? Because you were turnaround professional. Was that 2017? 
it was 2017, I think, testing my memory here. Um, yeah. But yeah, so Turnaround Professional of the Year Award. So yeah, so it was a good year, really, because I joined the TMA and the deliberate focus was to try and focus more on that turnaround and get more into that area. So it was really good to get the award and also join the TMA and, and really show people that I was, was the turnaround guy, not the insolvency guy, which was always the aim yeah. when I joined there, was to try and push further into that turnaround sector. Enjoyed my work there. I did a, so I went on to a conference course. I think it might be in 2018, January, actually, I joined Nikki. And I joined to do the, I did the conference committee the sort right. of second year. So I, so I was heading up the conference committee, running the conference, which is the sort of flagship event for the UK. I just thoroughly enjoyed it. And, and I was attending the TMA Global Distressed Investing Conference. Simon and I have been a couple of years, which is in Las Vegas. Right. So yeah, it took some, took some pushing to go there, but, <laughs> um, but I managed, but I managed it. I really enjoyed that global element of the TMA, which has always been a, a real thing for me. I've really enjoyed connecting globally with people. I like people of other, getting to know people of other cultures and other countries. And I thoroughly enjoyed doing the global work. But in the UK, I was doing the conference, did it for a couple of years. And Peter Stevens was the president for a couple of years. And then he was stepping down. So I put my name forward to, to take over the presidency, which I appreciate the board accepted me onto. So I started that role in January. It's a two-year role in the UK. Um, right. But the TMA is 55 chapters, 22 different countries. I have global catch-ups twice a month. And I really enjoyed meeting. I spoke at a TMA Nigeria event a few weeks ago. I just really like that sort of connection between all the countries and the cultures that the TMA brings. That's really, it's a really great organisation. And you were talking, when we were talking about the TMA, you were talking more about um, the agenda around inclusivity, which I think is fantastic and how, you know, you're, you and the board are really trying to spearhead the movement towards more DNI. Yeah, I mean, it's been, a, it's been a huge focus for the TMA global president this year is based out in California to try and improve that DNI across across the globe. I mean, right. it's predominantly US and Canada in terms of chapters, but it's something they're looking at across the globe. So we're speaking to the DNI steering committee from over there. We're looking at it ourselves internally because we're conscious that we are still too, you know, white male heavy really on the board. Now we're definitely seeing more more females coming onto the board, but trying to get sort of inclusion of the ethnic minorities is more of a challenge. And, and you've probably seen it yourself across our sector. We don't yeah. really have many people that are not white British. And that's a real challenge, I think, and, and something that, that needs sorting. But it's not like they're all there in the profession just waiting to come through. And we're seeing it more and more, but it is going to take time for that to work its way through. But it's something we're conscious of and trying to do something about. Yeah. And I think you said that to me, a lot of the people coming in now at the probably more the junior stages, there's definitely more of a feel around that inclusivity and something that, you know, being aware of it and trying to drive it is starting to make an impact, which will then feed through uh, later down the line. Yeah, I think that's absolutely the case. And the next generation is is definitely more aware of DNI than I think anybody of my generation and, and even the older generation on the board were really made aware of. It's something that's coming more to the forefront of minds now. So we're definitely seeing that at the next generation level. And it's, it's fantastic. No, it's really good to see. Going back into your um, your life as uh, in restructuring insolvency, so you then moved on yep. to I did, I moved to Sue. No, I moved to Bigby's. So I went to oh, Bigby's Bigby. trainer. Okay, yeah. I did. I jumped in there for for about twelve months. They offered me a role as partner at Bigby's in London, and I was looking for a partner role really, which is wasn't as a bit of a glass ceiling. I think coming at Menzies and Begbie's kindly offered me the partner role so I moved to I moved to Begbie's I think it was August I'm trying to, I'm trying to get my timings right August 19 
and it should and it should have been a really good fit for both of us but i don't think it, it really worked out as as i was hoping or they were hoping if i'm honest and i think sometimes you've just got to hold your hands up and say well actually i, I thought it was a good opportunity and i tried but actually i don't think it really worked for either of us and so that's when i sort of had a look uh, and the james cooper creston role came up um which is perfect really it's just ex- exactly what i was looking for and you know, I, was, I spoke to i spoke to ambition at the time and said this is the role I want. I've had a few jobs now and I'm, I'm obviously ambitious and I want that part of the role and, and this is where I want it. So let's see what we can find. And, and, and this role came up and it was pretty much exactly as described on my brief. So yeah. perfect opportunity, a really great firm, a really nice partnership. Everybody sort of gets on really well. It's a good size with 22 partners. I've got about 200 staff and it's just been, I've been there eight months now and it just feels like a really great place to work. I think it's it's interesting, isn't it, when you know I've talked about your role and and the organisation, and, and as you say, there's not many places that you feel straight away that this is you know the, the partnership is really collaborating, um, the egos aren't necessarily there, and people just seem to want to make this work and work together. Yeah, and I think it's really unusual. So it sounds you know like a, a really great organisation. It is, yeah, it's, it's a fantastic partnership. As you say, everybody, it almost feels like a family. And and I could tell from even the questioning that was going on in, in the interviews that I went through, the questioning very much around about whether I'd fit as a partner and whether I'd be part of the team. And and it was very driven around that, whereas a lot of firms, it's very driven around your numbers and how much money you're going to make them. Um, yeah. And this was very different. It was all about the culture and whether you'd work in their culture and, and in their partnership. And a bit of a breath of fresh air, really. And it was, it was really yeah. nice to see. And... I think having having been through a few interviews in time, it was really interesting to see that different approach to interviewing and and what they were looking for. They knew what they were looking for, and we're just waiting for think, to find the right person. Yeah, which is a, a really good. Do you think it also then encourages a more diverse and inclusive workforce and people actually coming for interviews? because of this feeling of difference and that you know it's collaboration and it's wanting to to be the best place possible is is that something that you found when you're interviewing that there's you know there's you're able to offer more of an inclusive culture yeah I think so and and, and the great thing I think about the firm is that I think our employees really like working there and actually yeah. it only needs a little bit of research and background to understand how good it is. I mean, I'd, I'll be honest, I didn't really know James Cooper Creston when, when I first had my first chat with them. So I had to do my own research and made a few calls and spoke to a number of people about them. And all I got was really good feedback. They were great people to work with, really enjoy working with them. So it was all good feedback. So I think it only needs that little bit of research. And if you can keep that up, you do end up getting good candidates because people want to work at a firm a where they feel, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And they feel appreciated. Yeah, and I think we do. I think we do offer that as a as a firm. And it's you know, don't get me wrong, we haven't stopped working on it and think we're we're the best, and we don't do it anymore. You know, we've got a great HR team, and and we work, we carry on working on it. We offer a lot of things. We've been through a challenge in eighteen months, like anybody else, but we're trying to sort of look after the employees, make sure they're happy. You know, there's plenty of well-being things going on, just to make sure everybody does feel included uh, and appreciated. And that's something we work we work hard and and discuss a lot at partner level. That's really good. Fantastic to hear. And so talk to me about some of your highlights in your career, because there's been quite a few there along the way. What would you class as being your main highlights? Yeah, I mean, highlight, definitely 
passing the exams that was a very big thing for me I was very nervous about doing that I mean not you know I haven't got the greatest exam record in the world so that was a real achievement for me and I, I got the one of the IPA prizes as well which which was really nice the winning the award for turnaround professional of the year getting up getting up on the stage and getting an award is definitely a highlight I think that's always going to be a highlight for anybody uh, and then taking on the TMA presidency and just being accepted into that role by the board again was that was was definitely a highlight for me all great ones as well um, and, yeah, and, but yeah, a bit, I suppose even looking at smaller ones Nick even yeah I think when you look back at your career like you know it's interesting to see you, that you didn't go to university it probably helped you you know it might have pushed you back on your exams because you waited a bit later which is something that you and I had talked about wasn't it but you know actually your career accelerated from going straight into the workplace. And I, I do think there's so many different paths these days to achieving a partner status, status in a professional services firm. And I think that's really interesting. And then along the way, there's there's lots of changes that you made in your career. Because I think one of your challenges you mentioned was this glass ceiling. What you've done then is find a way around that so that you can still accelerate your career. Yeah, I think so. I think it's a couple of things for me. One is the glass ceiling, and one is being quiet. I'm not. I'm not very good at, at being quiet if the work's not really coming in the door. And that's obviously that changes as you, as as you become more senior. Because if you're quiet, then it's your own fault as you get as you go because it's your role to go and get it. Yeah, so it, it changes a bit. But certainly, when I was going through that sort of senior administrator to senior manager area, I wanted to be busy. I wanted to be learning. I wanted to be you know improving myself. They were all really important parts. The glass ceiling certainly part of it in a couple of my roles where I just couldn't see that really moving. So Mazars was one example. Menzies have already said, just it just felt like there was a glass ceiling. And and to get to that next step, it, it needed an opportunity elsewhere. So yeah, a bit of a mix of both. And the university thing I think is interesting because for some people it's definitely a, a good thing to do. For me, you're right, it definitely helped not going, I think. But sometimes it's just looking life into it. You know, I had that conversation with Begbie's trainer in, in the pub that pulled me into this sector, a sector I'd never heard about or even thought about, but a sector actually that I've excelled in. I've really enjoyed. I like the, the personal touch that comes with insolvency and dealing with people a lot. It's very common sense driven as well a lot of the time. It certainly was in my younger days when you were, you know, you were a bit fly by night on site making very quick decisions to do things. And common sense was really, really important. It still is to a large extent. You still need to be very commercial, I think, in our area. So whilst university, I think it certainly didn't hold me back. I mean, obviously it didn't hold me back, but it also helps a bit of good timing and a bit of luck. And but you've got to, as you said, you've got to see also see those opportunities and take them. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, and so yeah. sometimes you do get the opportunity. I don't, I don't think there's many times I've, I've sort of had opportunities to do something and I've regret not done it. In fact, I can't think of any really. The only the only time I still look back at sometimes is I very nearly moved to the Caribbean about 10, 12 years ago. And, you know, I know, I know a number of people that have done it uh, and I know a number of people that are there now. Um, yeah. and that's something I very cl- came very close to doing but never actually did but I don't I don't do I regret not going no I don't think so it's it's, it's difficult because you're almost taking yourself out of the market for two or three years well you can uh, go on holiday now maybe instead of living there yeah absolutely yeah well not, hopefully not so, someday <laughs> soon we can yeah indeed. <laughs> we can fly again <laughs> Um, and there's, yeah. there's a lot of networking. And as you mentioned, it's very much a people industry or industry, a lot of networking. Yep. Has that changed at all? I mean, over the last 18 months, it's, it's been different. But, you know, from when you joined the industry to pre-COVID, how had that changed and flexed? And is that something that makes it harder for the inclusivity piece 
to be there because of the amount of networking that's needed. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely changed hugely in the 20 years I've been in the industry. It started, I think, you know, a lot of networking was done over long lunches. You know, you went for lunch and you came back at 8pm, turned your computer yeah. off and went home. And there's a lot of, it was very much, I think there was a large drinking culture around that time. I think that changed even just moving to London away from away from Leeds. I think it was sort of it started to be less than that anyway. And then over mm-hmm. time, I think that's changed quite considerably now. I don't think there there's still some people that still network on that basis, and there's still a bit of a going out and meeting people over a few beers. I don't think it's like it was 20 years ago. And there's a lot of sort of events now and lunches that are different people like to do different things it doesn't have to be just based around eating or drinking it can be going to do things together and I know we try and do a wide variety of events to try and fit all our clients because everybody likes different things so I do think that's changed a lot and I think because that's changed a lot it does help on the diversity because it's not all about a drinking culture because you know the number of people who don't drink alcohol anymore has has changed significantly as well in those 20 years and it's not what everybody wants to do whereas 20 years ago I think everybody was sort of drinking there weren't many people who said oh I don't drink whereas now I think that's changed quite a lot so I think that does help for the diversity piece as well that people will all do different types of networking I mean what I would say sort of junior staff really is networking is so important to do from a young age so if your firm encourages it and hopefully they do go and meet your peers go and meet solicitors at a similar level so you if you're an insolvency practitioner get into a network early on and you'll grow with them through the years so when you get to that point if if and when you want partnership and you get to that level you already know a lot of people in the area you know a lot yeah. of people in your market already you've already done your networking you've already got a really good base for it because it's quite hard to start from scratch once you get to sort of senior manager, director, partner level, what you need are those people that have been with you for 10, 15 years. And, you know, you've got a close bond with and you're almost friends with to a large extent and will be in a lot of cases. Well, those are some great words of wisdom there. Thank you for that. <laughs> and uh, what, what, what are your take on the market at the moment? I know you've done it. You've recently written an article, haven't you, that um, I thought was really interesting. Do you want to have a brief overview of what you think is going to be happening in the market? Yeah, it's still. I mean, it's, I think the article starts. Oh, you're in insolvency. You must be really busy. And, <laughs> yeah. and it's always it's always the case when the market's like this. But actually, it's been very quiet. The market has been quiet. The government have been obviously providing a lot of funding, whether it's through deferred taxation, the blocking of winding up petitions, C bills loans, or B bills loans. Um, so I have furlough, obviously furlough, huge amount into the economy. So what we're seeing is a lot of companies that probably wouldn't have ticked over before COVID have managed to survive COVID because they've had all this government funding. So the market has definitely been quiet. We're all we're all fighting for market share really at the moment. Numbers and stats are significantly lower than pre-COVID. So the sector is quite quiet. However, it does feel that's got to change. Furlough ends end of September, the winding up petitions, unless they're extended again, also ends end of September. Sea bills are starting to be repaid now, so some will some will already be repaid. Some will come on to come on soon, and I think people will try and tick over and try and work their way through. But if you think of a company two years ago, let's say their sales this summer are exactly the same as they were two years ago, but they've got deferred tax, probably deferred rent if they're a store. They've got the sea bills loan, so they've got this massive debt burden on the balance sheet that just wasn't there two years ago. So even if they're trading at the same levels. You know, they've got to, they're paying off all this debt. And how long is it going to take off all this debt? I mean, I think this B bills might be over 10 years now. The joy of the insolvency law is there are a lot of options for people in distress. 
there's a lot of contingency planning that can be done now for the end of September for as and when this all starts to kick off. The creditors can suddenly start taking action again, uh, albeit that's not quite the case, not the case on, on property. But I think we will see a pickup. How much of a pickup and when we see it is, is still a big question. The banks are supportive for now. I can't see them turning into aggressive at all because last time was the bank's fault and this time it isn't. And I don't think they'll do anything that pushes that, that changes that focus onto the banks not being supportive. Obviously, there's a limit to how supportive they'll be, but I can't see them being aggressive. So for that, I think we'll still see the old zombie company ticking along, not really doing anything. That'll happen, I think, for some time to come. But I think the market's got to get busier. It's just going to be a case of when. Yeah. Um, and it could be it could be into next year and even well into next year before we start to see more and more insolvency. But I think people are going to try and work with the debt they've got, but it is going to be a challenge for a lot of businesses. Yeah, and I think it's interesting your point of, you know, t- the contingency planning is really important. You, you don't wait till you get into that really bad situation as a company, start talking to people like yourself before that to think about how you can restructure. And and interesting, I take away from you as well, your balance sheet is very different from your P&L. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and so that's going to be highlighted more by the pandemic. It, it's just going to make it a lot more obvious to people that they've got to keep an eye on that balance sheet. But they're going to know from their P&L because they've also got to make all these repayments. And, and that's going to be a real challenge for people. And you're right, the sooner the better. I mean, the turnaround industry gets so frustrated that everybody comes to us too late. You yeah. know, the earlier, the better. The earlier you are, the more options you have as a general rule. So, yeah, if people come, if people came a lot earlier, even if it's just a quick review and a quick look at it and say, well, do you know what? Let's have another chat in three months' time. That's a lot better than having the chat in three months' time when things are a mess. When it's too late. So, yeah, yeah, to do sooner the better. Always, always the answer for us. Yeah, well, that's a, a good note to end on today, Paul. So thank <laughs> you so much for your time. It's been really interesting talking to you and hearing more about you and your career history and highlights. And look forward to speaking to you soon. Great. Thanks, Nikki. Thank you.